Let's, uh, let's pray and uh, ask God to speak to us this morning. That's our objective at this time in the worship service. We, we really, uh, we, we hope and pray that we will hear from God. So let's ask him to speak. Father, we, uh, we take time in this portion of our worship to hear from you and to reflect together. And, and uh, it is a privilege, God, of, a, of someone who follows Jesus to get to hear from him and to hear from you. We believe that that happens in your word, and we believe that uh, we can literally open ourselves up to that. So would you speak to us now before we ask this in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, for the last couple of weeks, uh, we have been in a series studying the life of Moses together. Uh, In week two, we examined the story of how Moses' mother, Jochebed, constructed a little reed basket covered that basket with tar or pitch, put her baby, little baby boy, uh, Moses, in that basket, and then kind of pushed him down the Nile River. And that deed of hers actually saved Moses' life. And we've talked about the fact that Moses is one of the most influential, impactful people in the history um, of uh, humankind. Now, this morning, of course, is Mother's Day. And um, if that's a revelation to you, you're going to have a bad day just to let you know. Uh, But since it is Mother's Day, moms, I've got a question for you, and that would be how many of you would like to float your kids down a river in a a reed basket? Just, yeah. Come on, be honest. Yeah. There you go. That's our tie-in this morning with the story of Moses. So uh, the truth is, being being a parent in particular, being a mother is a huge task. So huge, in fact, it's, it's too big, really, for anyone to fill those shoes completely. It's an impossible task to do perfectly. Uh, the good news is it's not an impossible task to do well. In fact, parents, mothers in particular, again, are called to, to parent well, to love well, to train and discipline well and appropriately, uh, to teach well. In fact, I'm going to suggest this morning that two things that we know are absolutely necessary— for parenting well, one would be this, you must learn to tell and to teach the truth to your children, and we'll talk about that. The other is that you must give them lots and lots and lots and lots of love, those two things. And if you do this, you greatly increase their odds, humanly speaking, of growing up mentally, emotionally, and spiritually healthy. When a child grows up hearing the truth about who God is, that he is a good and loving God, He is a wise and caring God. He's a holy God, but he's also merciful. He is a righteous God. He is a just God. And when they also then hear the truth about themselves growing up, that they matter, uh, that they are made in his image, that they are gifted, that they are important, that they are loved, but also that they are broken, that they can be very self-seeking. Parents, have you noticed that? Moms, have you noticed that about your kids sometimes? They can be kind of self-seeking. They can even be greedy Uh, Sometimes they can be not good, they can be not loving, sometimes they can be not caring, not just, not merciful, and so the truth about any and all children is that they need to be changed, they need to be transformed, and that, of course, is what God means to do in the lives of our children and in our lives. When a child grows up hearing the truth and being reminded that they are loved by God and they are also loved by their mother, by their parents, usually... Usually the child develops a good, proper, healthy sense of self and of their place 
in the world. They develop what we would call a healthy self-esteem. They grow up believing they matter. Uh, They grow up knowing the world does not revolve just around them. That's part of the parenting process too, isn't it? Uh, But they grow up knowing too that they can make a contribution to the world. They know that people love them. And they know in turn that they're supposed to love others, love other people. This is all very important because you see, without this clarity, the world will either falsely exalt them or teach them to worship themselves. That's what stardom sometimes does to people, uh, whether that's uh, in Hollywood or on an athletic field or in the business world, you know, worship yourself. You are, and there's nobody quite as good as you are. Or the world will tell them that they just simply don't matter. They're not loved. And that is what our broken world does and the broken people in it. And because we are broken too, especially when we are little and growing up, we tend to believe all kinds of lies about ourselves. Uh, Either we think we're great, greater than others, right? Uh, Or we think we are unstoppable, or we think we can be anything we want to be or do anything we want to do, or just as bad. We think that we're awful, that others are better, that nobody loves us, nobody cares, there's nothing good in us, we can't do anything right, we just don't matter. And the truth is, children at the earliest of ages start asking questions around these kinds of things. Does anyone care? Does anybody love me? Do I matter? And of course, it's the job of parents, it's often the job of mothers to speak into those kinds of questions, to answer them for their children and to answer them well. And the answers children get to those questions significantly form this thing that we talk about, this thing of self-worth. Every person in this room has formed an appraisal of his or her own self-worth. And part of that appraisal came from the early years of growing up. And if those years were difficult, if they included bad parenting or abusive experiences, you probably carry around some wrong ideas about who you really are. And I would just say, and want to remind us this morning, that the Bible and the truth that it contains is our best antidote to both unfounded hubris, unfounded pride, as well as to low self-worth, low self-esteem. These two things overweening pride and low self-respect adversely affect just about everything. Our disposition in life, our relationships, our vocal, uh, vocational potential, as well as even spiritual or kingdom kinds of potential are affected by this. And so parents, moms in particular, uh, therein lies the essence of your job. You've got to consistently do the best you can to speak truth to your children about who they really are and who they are not and show them lots and lots of love. If you don't, if you mess this up, I think the truth is we scar our children. And the truth uh, is that all of us here do have scars to some extent because none of us have had uh, or none of us have perfect parents. Uh, None of us are perfect parents, and therefore we don't perfectly reflect the truth and the love back to our children that we should. Uh, I mean, parents get angry, right? These parents over here are getting angry right now. (laughs) Parents get tired or they get impatient. 
Or they grow weary of well-doing. You know, the Apostle Paul writes and tells us, don't grow weary of well-doing. Well, that's hard for a parent. You know, reading to your children at night when you're tired. Ever been there? Uh, Praying with them when you'd rather just have them go to sleep, (laughs) go to bed. Telling them the story, the gospel story, so that they come to know and appreciate and love Jesus. Uh, Delivering loving, consistent discipline. That's a huge challenge. But you get the idea. The result of all this is our, uh, this thing of our brokenness is that we don't reflect back to our children an exactly accurate image of who they really are. It's like those, um, if you've ever been to a Oh, a county fair or something, a wacky fun house, and you go inside, and there's those mirrors in there. You know, you know those mirrors? One mirror makes you just thin as a bean pole. Another makes you super tall. Another one makes you look like a round bowling ball kind of deal. And uh, the fact of the matter is, those images are distortions. They're not truthful images. They're inaccurate images of what you really look like. And kids get these kinds of distortions all the time, sometimes from parents, uh, sometimes from playmates or school buddies, sometimes from teachers or coaches or bullies or media. And it's a parent's job to constantly be correcting those kinds of distortions with the truth about who they really are, with the truth about how they really matter. And if parents don't do this, children can reach some pretty distorted conclusions about themselves. I'm ugly. I'm stupid. I don't do anything right. I don't matter. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares. I, I can't for the life of me figure out where or how I fit in. And children who grow up in abusive homes where the parents aren't speaking the truth to them in love and not living that out with lots of mercy and forgiveness and grace flowing back and forth, those kids are constantly getting distorted reflections, distorted images and messages about who they are. And that is just brutal. The Apostle Paul tells uh, those who follow Jesus, uh, he would apply this sort of this way. He says, be completely humble and gentle in our dealings with each other. Can you imagine, parents, how important this principle is? Be completely humble and gentle, not always the know-it-all, not the one who's always right and never wrong. Be completely humble and gentle in your dealings. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's some great advice to all of us, but to parents in particular. He, he also says that instead of speaking deceitfully to each other, and that, there's a temptation in the parenting process to do exactly that. Tell your kids things that aren't necessarily true. Give them expect, expectations that aren't really just, not really good even for them. Uh, Paul says, instead of speaking deceitfully to one another, he says, speak the truth in love. That is so important. Uh, We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, when we speak the truth to one another in love. Friends, here's kind of where I'm going with all this. In a very real sense, our parents were mirrors to us during most of those early formative Uh, sensitive, impressionable years, years, kind of years one through nine, that type of thing. And that's both the good news and the bad news, isn't it? That during those years, we really are, parents are kind of the main mirrors that their their children are seeing their reflection in. That's, That's good news, but that's also bad news. The good news part is, is that moms, I mean, think about the opportunities you have 
in raising your children, especially in those early years. The opportunities you have to influence your children's lives spiritually and mentally and emotionally. Moms can introduce their children to the truths about God's love for them, how he made them uniquely, and he's going to gift them. He's going to give them certain things that, that literally make them a unique human being. You get to teach them about Jesus' love and how he died for them and demonstrated that love and his teachings and his life and his death and his resurrection, about the Spirit's love for them and the way the Spirit daily is with them and provides for them and will guide them. You can ground your little ones when they're little in the faith. And also make sure that your little ones get lots and lots and lots of accurate, clear reflections about how you love them. Friends, if you uh, looked at your parents during those years and you saw reflected back to you kind of clear, undistorted pictures, looks of love, pleasure, warmth, acceptance, instruction and correction, forgiveness, trust in them, approval of them, if they receive that from you, if you receive that from your parents, then you are greatly blessed. If, you're, if you grew up or if you're raising children in a context where they get to hear about their maker, they get to hear about the God who loves them and who forgives them and who laid down his life for them. And if those reflections were consistent throughout formative years, there's just a great chance that the conclusion your child will reach or the conclusion that you reached growing up is that you yourself are lovable and that you yourself do matter and that you have something important to contribute to the world around you. Now, normally all children do this. They listen to these messages. They look for these messages. They read and they analyze the mirror reflections that people, and in particular their parents, are sending back to them. And that's why moms today, we say thank you. We say we love you. Uh, we view you as a gift from God. You've reflected back to us how God loves us, how he cares about us. It's because we recognize that your love has been a very powerful influence in our lives that we say we love you and we appreciate you. You are a picture to us of the love of God. I can remember even when I was very young, my mother telling me that I was a very special little boy. She would say that often. And all through the years of my growing up, coincidentally, this is exactly what Moses' mother said to Moses. She told him he was a fine young man. That's what she told him. And we know this because in Exodus chapter 2, we read this. It says, now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, that's Jochebed, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Who wrote that? Moses. Where did he hear that? I'll bet from his mom. Over and over and over and over. You were a fine young man. When he was little, in those formative years, and she got to be a nursemaid for him, I'm sure he heard over and over and over, you are a fine child. Moses' mother would tell him this. My mom would tell me I was a special child because I was adopted. And uh, she made me feel that being adopted was way better than just being an ordinary born child that you have to keep, you know. <laughs> I was special, right? I was chosen. I was accepted into the family. My mom was always reminding me I was a fine child, right? I was special. I remember one time uh, she took me to register 
uh, for Little League Baseball. This is in Kettering, Ohio. This is going way back. And uh, I was very nervous about this because you had to go try out. And based on your tryouts, you got put in a certain division, you know, again, based on ability. I wanted to be in the top division. My mom obviously sensed my apprehension around all this, probably easy to notice. And I remember her pulling me aside and telling me, Dwayne, you are special. You will do just fine. Just go out there and do your best. I and your dad will be very proud of you no matter what division you get in. I remember the effects of that on me and being reassured and giving me confidence and giving me encouragement. She was always doing that kind of thing. Now, I also remember my mom disciplining me, uh, trying to correct faults and failures in me. One time I was playing with a neighborhood boy. His name was David. David could be irritating sometimes. Not me, but David could be irritating sometimes. <laughs> I remember about David, uh, that David liked having his way. David could be bossy. He could be pushy at times. Uh, David and I got into an argument about something. I have no idea what it was about, but I remember kind of he wanted me to do something I didn't want to do. And David had a habit of threatening to tell his mother if you didn't do what he wanted you to do. And uh, David's mom, of course, this is a, a six- or seven-year-old recollection, right? You know how that filters. But uh, in, in my little six- or seven-year-old mind, uh, David's mom was always going to bat for David, always settling his scores in David's favor, you know, to get David what David wanted. So in this situation, I did the only thing that a rational person could do. Uh, I punched David in the stomach, and then I ran home with the speed of a cheetah. And when I got home, my mom you know, can see I'm out of breath, and she starts asking questions. What are you doing home? How come you're out of breath? How come you ran home? And when she got kind of the most of the full story, she made it very clear, very clear to me that I had acted very badly. I had made bad decisions. My way of resolving conflict with David was not the right way to behave. And so I remember one of the things, one of the consequences was grounding. But an even worse consequence was she marched me back over to David's house. And I got to apologize to David. That was bad. But then I had to apologize to David's mother for punching her son. It was a good blow, too. Just doubled him right over. <laughs> punching her son and running like that. And it was, it was not only embarrassing. It was just, I, I just felt awful. I just did. And then I got some more instructions when we got back home about how I should process with David in particular. I remember my mom telling me she, she expected better from me. That, too, was something I heard over and over growing up. Son, I, I expect better from you. Now, the, I expect you to find better ways to resolve differences than punching people. And I've mostly stuck to that. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of learned the lesson, you know. On a, on a whole different note, I remember when I was 12 years old, that was the year my father died. And the only thing that really kept our family completely uh, together, uh, kept our family from unraveling, if you will, was the belief that mom loved us and the belief that mom would not leave us. Uh, she would take care of us and somehow get us through all this. And, um, and she did. She did with great difficulty. You can imagine that kind of upheaval. But mom was a rock, not just to me, but to my brother and my sister as well. I remember in high school when it's not cool at all to depend on your mother. Uh, I remember the day that I graduated from high school. What made that super special for me was what my mom did. She, 
She put together a party. It was kind of a surprise party. What was really the surprise was just how many people were there. She baked a big old cake and a big meal and lots of presents and friends and relatives were there. And the really neat thing, the most memorable thing to me was a card that I got from my mother. Still have it. In that card, she reminded me again that I was special to her. That was the language, that I was special to her. And she told me she was proud of me. She told me that she believed in me, that she thought I would succeed or could succeed at whatever I really set my mind to. And I was about to go off to college. Nobody in our family had ever gone to college. So that was, for our family, that was walking into the unknown, right? But I got cards like this throughout my life. I got another card like that when I graduated from college. Just her expressing love, appreciation, support, encouragement. I got another card like that when I graduated from seminary. Uh, I got another card like that when I got ordained. And those cards meant the world to me. Um, There are many wonderful things I could say about my mother, but probably the two things I'm most grateful for from her. One, the constant flow of love I felt from my mom, even when I was failing. Even when she was disciplining me, even when I had badly disappointed her. And two, the constant willingness to tell me the truth, even when I didn't like the truth. I remember when I quit guitar lessons. And then I remember when I quit piano lessons. And then I remember when I quit Hawaiian guitar lessons. That's a Meldacord thing. And then I remember when I quit trumpet lessons. And then I wanted to take drum lessons, right? And I remember her telling me, yeah, we're done with lessons. (laughs) Because I had demonstrated that I wasn't serious about them. And she let me suffer the consequences of those bad decisions. You understand, I would not be a preacher today uh, if I had taken those drum lessons. I would be like Daniel Platzman, you know, with Imagine Dragons. I would be "Mm, just, mm, just, but I'm here, you know. I remember, (laughs) did you all hear that? She said, you're special. (laughs) Thanks for making the message better. That's good, yeah. (laughs) I remember her love for me one time when I, I, uh, there was a guy on a paper route. I was delivering papers and he intercepted me. His name was Whitey. He was a big guy. He was older than me and he beat the tar out of me. He just beat the tar out of me. And I went home, and I was bloody, and Mom cleaned me up, and, and she marched down there to his house. <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted to be Whitey. <laughs> so I remember her love for me when she bailed me out of jail twice in high school. Um, talk about failure. Talk about disappointment. The first time I'd been stealing some cars with friends and I dreaded, I was in the jail cell and I knew mom was going to come pick me up. I was absolutely dreading that. Worse than being in jail, actually, because I knew how much I had let her down. I remember driving home from jail. She let me know how disappointed she was. I mean, she didn't pull any punches. She was concerned about the incredibly stupid, poor choices I was making. She said the reason it hurt her so much was because she cared about me, and I knew that was true. Uh, She knew that I could do better than this. She said that again. (laughs) I knew she meant it, and I knew she was right. 
Point is, I always felt the love of my mother. I always did. And I would just say, friends, the most important objectives that a parent can have in raising their children is teach them the truth. The truth about God, the truth about themselves, the truth about life. Lead them as much as a parent can do this. Lead them into that place where they know the love of Jesus Christ for them. Let them know there is always hope for transformation. You see, that's the goodness of the gospel. I can always change. A child can always change. We can become more like Jesus. There's always help for fixing the brokenness in here. That's the good news of the gospel. That's number one, teach them the truth. Number two, give them an accurate appraisal of who God has made them to be. In other words, no drum lessons. You know, we're done with the drum lessons. You know, that's not who you're going to be. You just have to speak the truth to them, even when it disappoints them. Tell them they are someone important. They are someone unique. They are someone gifted. They are someone who's loved. Assure them and show them that you love them. That is vitally important to their spiritual, their emotional, their mental well-being. I've always wanted my kids to know that they, um, that I'm crazy about them, that, that they are wonderful, that they are uniquely gifted and created by God, and that I love them more than words can say, and I want them to know that I trust in them, and I approve of them, and I'm proud of them. Now, sad to say, if we're going to be honest, I fail at this all the time, sometimes in some bad ways. But fail as I might, I'm not going to stop trying to convey these messages to my children. Of course, all my children are grown now. Um, and you know, the truth is that as kids grow, as they get older, and there's certain peer influences around them, the battle for this gets harder and harder and harder. I mean, parents get listened to less and peers get listened to more. And, but to keep a child believing and seeing the truth about themselves in spite of the messages that people and peers send their way, that's a big battle, that's a big challenge. Sometimes these messages that come their way, they're not necessarily coming from you, but they're negative messages, they're hurtful messages, they're untrue messages. And that challenge, like I said, formidable, very formidable. But you know, friends, if you have been given the gift of love from your mom or from your parents, and if that has resulted in your having just a good, healthy understanding of who you are and your importance and your place in life, well, then you have been given something that is very, very precious, something money can't buy. Uh, and you should thank God. You should thank God for those that he's placed in your path who reflected back accurate images to you when you were growing up. And then thank them. Be sure and thank them. If they're living, if they're alive, thank them. My mother passed away a few years back, but I would uh, call her on a day like today, and I would remind her, I'd say, Mom, thanks for the cards. Thanks for the love. Thanks for the consistency. Thanks for showing me what the love of Jesus feels like and can look like. Now, you know, if we're going to tell the whole truth about all this parenting stuff, there are some sitting here who didn't have that experience. Some people here today grew up with lots of mixed, confusing, hurtful messages, and you looked at your parents, and time after time, the reflection you saw was more of an angry look you know, instead of affection or instead of acceptance. Or maybe you saw kind of a hostile reflection revealing something more like contempt. 
or a disapproving reflection, you know, that thing that just says, you know, you never do anything right. Or maybe you saw no reflection at all simply because your parents were just never there. Maybe they were too busy making deals or just too self-absorbed. If that was your experience, then you probably got very distorted, unhelpful, inaccurate, hurtful reflections with regards to who you really are. And you may have concluded, you know, I don't matter. Seems like nobody does love me. I'm not pretty enough, talented enough, smart enough, you know, athletic enough, whatever. I'm just an inconvenience. And here's the deal. At a young age, mom and dad are, they're not the only mirrors, but they're certainly the biggest and the most important mirrors that kids have to look at. And if your mirrors, if your mom and dad did a poor job of reflecting the truth, God's truth, back to you, well, then I'm guessing you've had to spend a considerable amount of time and energy and effort getting out from under that cloud. And you're to be commended if you've done that because that's not easy. To reform our thinking, to get an accurate picture and reflection of who we are when we've been given inaccurate ones, that's hard work. Hard work. Now, I want to also say I'm not trying to fix blame here or anything. I mean, the problem with parents is all parents, they are not perfect, not even close. Uh, The truth about most parents is they would never intentionally try to wound their kids. They just do it inadvertently. Am I right? You know, boy, I didn't get that one right. Most everybody would agree that parents, for the most part, do the very best they can with what they have to work with. In other words, your parents, unfortunately, had imperfect parents, too. That's what they had to work with. No parent out there is a perfect mirror of truth and love and acceptance for their children. Let me repeat that. No parent out there is a perfect mirror of truth and love and acceptance for their children. I could bring out a laundry list, or I should say my kids could. They could bring out a laundry list of the times and the ways that I failed at this. Times I communicated the wrong thing, said something hurtful, said something that honestly just wasn't true, it was just said in anger, communicated the wrong values to my kids. All parents, if you're being honest, you know the pain of blowing it and blowing it badly in the parenting process. We all bring our own scars from the past into the mix of parenting, so let's not get overly mired in trying to fix blame here or there. The truth is not only are parents not perfect, neither are the kids. It gets more complicated, right? I mean, kids do things wrong, they hear things wrong, they see things wrong, they interpret things wrong, all because of this thing called sin in them that distorts the truth, distorts the messages of love. This, this happens all the time. And so parents, even if you could parent perfectly, your kids would still turn out scarred. You know how I know that? You know, God is the perfect parent. You understand that? He does all the parenting stuff perfectly. However, he is working with imperfect children, right? And the result is imperfection. The Bible tells us that the day is coming when we go to see God face to face, that our sin nature will be taken care of once and for all. It'll be wiped away. And at that point, perfection uh, will be the reality. Sin won't block the messages or distort them in in any way. But until then, man, it's just a messy battle. Because even the right messages coming our way, sometimes we just reject them and push them away. So moms, parents, if 
If you've somehow managed to turn out very imperfect children despite all your efforts, well, welcome to the club. That's what all parents do. What I want to point out is that our self-image problems, our difficulties understanding who we really are, happen in some measure because distorted images that get reflected back to us growing up, I mean, that's one of the reasons why that happens, and because we ourselves are broken. We don't do the right things, see the right things, hear the right things. We ourselves need fixing. We don't always receive that feedback or those messages or that truth or that love well. And that's true when you're young, and that's also true when you're old. Same thing. Sometimes we receive these things badly to our own detriment. And if we understand this about ourselves, this brokenness in us, there's a brokenness in here, there's a brokenness out there. If we understand that, then we understand that we don't make our children to be anything. (laughs) Not really. I mean, we teach them truth. And we love them. I mean, that is a parent's responsibility. At the end of the day, though, each day, because this has to be done each and every day, they must do something with what we tell them. They must do something with the messages they've received. And this, of course, is why parents pray. Because at the end of the day, without God's help, parents, you're sunk. We need God to work. We need him to work on a hard heart and get those messages of truth to stick and to take root. This is why we look to God to work in the lives of our children. One of the most important things you can do, whether your child is in those ages 1 to 9 or whether your your child is in the 60 range, it doesn't matter. One of the most important things that a parent can do is pray, pray, pray for their kids. I was swimming laps last night in a pool about 8 o'clock. And it takes a long time, it takes an hour to swim the laps that I swim. And so while I'm doing it, um, I just pray. So I got about 30, 40 minutes into praying. You know, and I'm, I'm, God, help me remind me of this, this. I'm just praying, 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 praying for every member of my family and so on and so forth. And uh, when I got out of the pool, I, I felt oh, just satisfied. I felt like, you know what, I've, as far as I know, I, pray, I put, poured it all out there, put it all out there to God for God to work in the lives of myself, my wife, our kids, this church, etc. That may be the most important thing I do all week is just that time of prayer. Parents, this is why we pray for our kids. Sometimes, literally, the only hope they have will be what God can do in and through them. And if you understand that, do you understand how hopeful that is? That's not desperation, that's hope. Because it means change is possible. You see, we can change, we can grow, we can be transformed as parents or as children. Regardless of age, regardless of the past, change is possible, you understand, because of who God is and because of what Jesus did. It is never too late for the truth to change a person. If you're a parent or a child, never too late. The truth is, you see, you are loved. Even if that message has never sunk into you until now, you are loved, you are wanted, you are precious, you are important, you can be healed, and you can be transformed. You can even go back and repair relationships that are badly broken with the help, with the love, with the wisdom that Jesus gives. 
You see, this is the message and the beauty of the gospel that we celebrate week after week after week here. This is the good news of, of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. When we look at Jesus, we see truth about ourselves, and that can be painful, actually. But it's also hopeful. You know, all of us, parents and children, we're not perfect, far from it. We're messed up. We've all sent hurtful messages and poor reflections. We've all refused to believe the truth at times about ourselves. But Jesus came to earth, he said, to seek and to save the lost. That's sinners. That's broken people. That's us, all of us, parents and children. And in that message is our hope, hope for ourselves, hope for our kids. You know, the Bible says God actually wants to adopt us. That means you're special, not just me. The Bible says that God wants to adopt us into his family and accepts us because of Jesus. The Bible says that God will give wisdom and righteousness and holiness and redemption to us as a gift in Jesus when we put our faith in Jesus. That is the truth about you if you follow Jesus. God says that no matter what messages or reflections that you have received in the past, even if they were bad, even if they were wrong, even if they were terribly distorted reflections, the truth can actually set you free to know that you do matter. You are custom designed, handcrafted. You are unique. You are loved. Some of us here today desperately need to look at Jesus and see his love and acceptance for us. You know, the cool thing is that if Jesus were here uh, or if we had gone back to his time, can you imagine how cool it would have been to listen to that man teach and look him in the eyes? You know, sometimes the eyes mirror the real truth. Uh, can you imagine the look that you, you would have seen in Jesus' eyes as he looks at you. I promise you, it would be a reflection to you of how important you are and how much you are loved. Jesus said this one time to a group of disciples. He says, if you hold to my teaching, that's the big one right there, okay? That's, that's the condition. If you hold to my teaching, if you listen to what I say, if you listen and look at, at how I live and whatever, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Disciples are learners, right? It says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is the one who can set us free from lies that we've told ourselves, from lies that, lies that we've been told by others. And the truth is, friends, Jesus needs to be our mirror because he's really the only mirror that's not distorting something. And we need to listen to what he says. And we need to follow him and we need to obey him. Parents, moms, you need this. Children, you need this. Let Jesus' teaching, Jesus' life, Jesus' truth give us accurate reflections about who we are. Uh, David, King David of Israel one time was, I guess, sitting around contemplating himself. You know, who am I? What, what, what makes me special? I, I guess he was asking those kinds of questions. And moved by the Holy Spirit, this is what he wrote. He said, he says to God, you created my inmost being. That's the secret parts, right? You created my endless. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full 
Well, he was basking in the truth that he knew about God's love for him and the fact that God had made him. And that is the truth about you, friend. That is the truth about you and about me. Moms, today we want to tell you that we love you. We appreciate you. We want to remind you that you're very special. And if you are trying to convey your faith to your children, if you have young children, if you're reading to them and praying with them and laying a spiritual foundation for them, letting them know all about God's love, if you are sharing loads and loads and loads of love and affection for them, then your children are really blessed. And if you've been a recipient of that kind of blessing, today's your day to turn around and give thanks and be a blessing to your moms. Amen? That's the introduction. <laughs> no. Just, uh, just a word here. Moms, there are flowers out in the lobby. And we would just invite you or, you know, your significant other, if he's here, or what have you, to, to grab a flower on your way out. Also, uh, there's a setup out there to get your picture taken. And uh, we would invite you to handpick a family that looks pretty handsome. And you can go out there and get your picture taken and say, this is my family. You can stand there, you know. Uh, but we invite you to get a picture taken, too, if you would like. Uh, that's just, uh, we hope that that would bless you, some of you. Um, but we, we invite you to do that. And I'm going to ask you right now to pray with me. Father, we give thanks to you for our mothers. When our mothers have loved on us and reflected to us your love, Lord, that's a blessing like no other. May we be a blessing to them today. And we pray, God, that more than ever, we would be thankful for and attendant to the love of Jesus, which is always consistent, always deep, always profoundly shaping us if we will let the truth set us free. And may that be true this morning, God, for each and every one of us, that as we live in and attend to the truth of who Jesus is, may we find ourselves set free from lies, from reflections that are distortions. This we ask in